As we prepare to hear a word from the Lord this morning, let's again pray. Father, we are grateful for the many promises that you give to us. We pray that today as we reflect on your word that you, that you clear away any blockages or challenges that would prevent us from truly hearing your promises applied to us. And Lord, we pray that you send your spirit, that you work in us to transform us, to, to give us more life, to give us deeper joy in your word and your spirit. Amen. So I called this morning's sermon dry, and a couple people pointed out this morning that you really don't particularly want a dry sermon. And uh, I realized maybe I should have come up with a different sermon title, but I didn't. But what I was thinking is that often in life we find ourselves dried out, that life is dusty and a bit empty. And as we saw in baptism today, the Lord, by His grace, brings us the water of life. Christ is our living water. And so this morning, we are going to have a dry sermon, but it will end in life. So there is hope yet. We're reading a prophetic text this morning from Ezekiel 37, as we have been for this Promises, Promises series. And then we're also going to read a text from the gospel, from the gospel of Luke chapter 1. And the sermon is mostly going to focus on Ezekiel, but with the story from Luke brought in to highlight how that text from Ezekiel comes through the time of Jesus all the way to us today. Before I read, I just want to mention Ezekiel 37 does have two parts. 1 to 10 are, are kind of an image, 11 to 14 are kind of an illustration. So there's a little bit of repetition there, but, but all the same message. Let's read God's word. The hand of the Lord was upon me. That's the prophet Ezekiel. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, Son of Man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of Man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, O my people. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live 
and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. And then from Luke chapter 1. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. So some of this sermon this morning is going to be a little bit autobiographical, and we're going to start by talking about my first vehicle. Oh, people. All right, so this is not actually my first vehicle, but it was much like this. It was, it was a weird mid-1980s thing when you couldn't get small pickups with dual cabs. So there was this company in California who bought little Toyota trucks, cut them in half, welded that custom cab that you see in the middle, and then for an extra fee, they put duels on it. So this is a six-wheeled Toyota custom cab pickup. And and it was a great vehicle, despite how goofy it looks. We, we put a cat, we put a camper on the back of it. We had mattresses back there. We put our dog back there, and we take these long trips through the country. You can go in back and get the dog out and play with the dog and sleep across the country. Not safe at all, but amazing. Wonderful vehicle. My dad drove it for probably close to a decade, and then around the time my brother and I became drivers, we inherited it. At that point, it was, oh, I don't know, about 15 years old or so. Pretty worn out, but in okay shape. But then I was driving it one day, and and we tested whether a 1978 Camaro side-swiping a 1985 Toyota causes any damage. Not intentionally. The guy ran a red light. But we found out that mid-70s Chevys are a lot 
a lot more metal in them than mid-1980s Toyotas. So the passenger door got caved in about this far. And instead of taking it apart and fixing it, we just screwed a plexiglass window onto it, put a bunch of caulk in the places so it didn't leak too much, and kept driving it because it was old. And then a few months after that, I was out for a drive one night going to see some friends, and the clutch went out. And if you've never driven a vehicle with a clutch, well, you can drive it, but not very well. And it's really frustrating, especially if you're 17 or 18 and perhaps not the most patient person. So I drove it for a ways, and it died, and I drove it for a ways, and it died. And, and then I got about six blocks from home, and I gave up. I just left it. I walked home, I walked in the door and said, Dad and Mom, the truck is dead. It's finished. No more. And they said, what? And I said, the clutch is out. I'm not getting it. And I stomped off to my room. Is there life? Is there life in these bones? Ezekiel is brought by the Lord into a, a dry valley. And it's, it's a big valley, and, and there's these piles of bones. And this is not one skeleton in the desert. This is piles upon piles upon piles of, of bones. This is a major catastrophe. This is, this is genocide. This is a disaster. And it's not just that there's all these bones, but, but these bones are, are dried out. They're brittle. They are old. This is not a fresh slaughter. These bones have been just sitting there unburied and getting older and older as the bodies rotted away and then they, they became brittle and dry in the sun. Can there be life there? Well, humanly speaking, no. And in the interpretation that Ezekiel gives for this passage, he, he talks about how the people of Israel are identifying themselves as like those bones. We are all dried off. We're cut off from the Lord. There is nothing left for us. Nothing left for us. And then we move forward to the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, and boy, what, what a wonderful beginning. Zechariah and Elizabeth have a tremendous heritage. They are, they are both descended from Aaron, and they are from these prestigious priestly lines, and life should have been great for them. But but they have no children. And in those days, to have no children, to be barren, as the older language puts it, to be, to be all old and dried up as Zachariah and Elizabeth were was, was a terrible curse. We have been cut off. We are just dry bones. There is nothing left for us. Now, anytime we, we talk about these kinds of things, and we don't often, but, but anytime we talk about childless couples, there's a particular pain, I think, that, that a number of people in our church bear, people who, who wanted to have children but didn't, or people who, who had some children but not as many as they wanted, or people who had children and lost them. And, and so when we read this text, we need, to, we need to hear it with particular sympathy for those people, I think, but also in this season of Advent, this season that's often described actually as a season of darkness, we need to recognize that these are hard days. For some of us, for some particular reasons more than others, but, but even as we look toward the coming of Christ with joy, we need to be prayerful and be caring for each other because these are hard times. 
And this particular, this particular couple years here with the pandemic has been hard for all of us. And I, I feel like I say something like this about every other week, but, but I think pretty much every week I have conversations among, among people in the congregation, and this is hard and it continues to be hard. Micah Sherman, who's been preaching for us with some regularity on Sunday evenings, was, was talking to me a few weeks ago about some things, and he said, I don't really know. He's done a number of preaching around things for different churches. He's connected with a very variety of people across the country. He said, I don't know of any church. I don't know of any pastor. I hardly know of any people who are thriving these days. This is a hard, hard season. And let me ask you, and I hope for some of you the, the answer is positive, but, but how vibrant is your faith life compared to a couple years ago, compared to, compared to, well, in the before time? How vibrant is your life? How, how vibrant are your relationships with the Lord and with His people? How are you doing? And I think for many of us, we would have to say these, these bones are kind of dry. We're just tired and dried out. And when we, we sold that goofy-looking truck, we, we listed it pretty cheap. And there was a guy who came, and we could tell that he was not actually looking at the truck in front of him with, with the damaged door and the caulk all over and all the leaks. And at that point, antifreeze in the oil, which shouldn't be physically possible. It's done. It's finished. It's the junkyard. But we thought, well, we'll put it up for three, 400 see if somebody wants it. And this guy showed up, and you could tell this was the truck he was seeing. I can fix that. The frame is bent. I can fix that. There's antifreeze in the oil pan. I can fix that. Can we sell it to this guy? Is this like ethical? He thinks there's life in them bones. Take the money. And should we move afterwards in case he brings the truck back? He's not seeing reality. And yet he bought it and he loved it for a couple years. It was around. You'd see it every now and then. And then eventually it disappeared, I, I assume, to a better place. Well, Ezekiel gives us this picture of things becoming much better. The Lord asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel is a little like, well, uh, no, but I can't say that to God because God can do anything. So, Lord, you know. And then, and then the Lord tells Ezekiel, go and prophesy to the dry bones. Prophesy to the dry bones. What an assignment. And Ezekiel has to go and he looks at this pile of dry bones and he has to talk to them and say, dry bones, grow tendons, grow flesh, grow skin, do it. And then what happens? Well, what happens is the Lord works something of a miracle and these dry bones, there's this great rattling and shaking in the whole valley. And and remember, this is a big pile of bones, so this is a loud noise. And all the bones come together and they click into place and then the tendons grow and and the flesh grows on them and the organs come back and the skin covers them again and, and they're back. And it's amazing. But there's, there's a strangeness there that the Lord doesn't bring those bodies straight back to life. Instead, what we have after the valley of dry bones is the valley of dead bodies. That's where we are in the middle of Ezekiel 37 here. The bones have become bodies, but they aren't alive yet. And there's a real, we just glide over it when we read through the text, but I think there's a real question there. Why does the Lord do this in two steps? 
why does the Lord have this, have this pause, this point when there's been some restoration, but we aren't there yet? And I think, and there, there's debate about this, so you may have your own theory, and I'd be happy to hear it afterwards, but, but I think there's a few reasons why the Lord chooses this process and a few lessons for us. And I think one question for us is, as God's people, how interested are we really in God's project of bringing us back to life? The Israelites, God's people in, in Ezekiel, it seems like they'd given up. Ah, we're cut off, we're dried up, hope is over, done. Zechariah, when an angel comes to him and tells him that God is going to bring life out of barrenness, goes, yeah, right, that's not going to happen. How interested are we in really following through the Lord's work from beginning to end? So I think there's that. But then I think there's also a reminder to us that God's process of recreation, well, this is not a, this is not a quick or an easy process. There are steps along the way, and there's, there's often a longer ways to go than we like. The Lord and we don't understand why he does this, but the Lord does not jump us straight from A to Z, from, from sinful human beings to perfect human beings. There is, there is a whole redemptive process. And so we are called, I think, to, to appreciate the process. And third, to be, to be patient along the way and also to recognize that without the Spirit, nothing happens. Without the Spirit of God, nothing really happens. Life might be a little better or a little worse. You might have dry bones or dead bodies. But, but without God's enlivening presence, we can do nothing. We need to recognize that we are radically dependent on God's Word and God's Spirit. But then when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit comes and God works, oh, wow. Let's talk about another pickup truck now. This, and a couple of you are coveting right now, I know. This is a 2000 Toyota Hilux. When we lived in Nigeria, this was the truck that we had, and it was amazing. Instead of being kind of a cut up and weld together job, this was from the manufacturer. This, this was built to be a custom cab. And these trucks are amazing incredibly powerful. Passenger capacity, we maxed out at about 35. It could go over tree trunks. It could cross through rivers. I knew a guy once who had a winch on it, and he took it through a river where he could roll down the window and touch the water right there. Not a problem. These trucks are amazing, and I don't have one for sale, but I wish I did. Amazing. When the manufacturer got involved and did it right, wow. Well, in that valley of dry bones, when the Lord moved from, from dead bodies and then on to, to having Ezekiel prophesy again and having the Spirit come, well, what happened? Life happened. Resurrection happened. Those dry bones that became dead bodies were told to breathe. And the word in Hebrew for spirit and for breath are exactly the same word, ruach. When the Lord finally sent the Spirit into those bodies, when the word of the Lord spoken by Ezekiel brought the Spirit of the Lord into play, 
Wow. Wow. That whole army, and it becomes a whole army, that whole army stood up and came to life. And Ezekiel, when he had been looking at God's people as dried up bones with no hope, and, and then, and then, and then the Lord brings life. And then a little later in Ezekiel, the Lord talks about how he's going to, to bring his people out of their grave and bring them to life through his spirit. This is impossible. This is incredible. This is a complete reversal. If you think about how bodies decompose, what, what's going on here is a recomposing, a recomposing of the people of God. They start out as dry bones, and then the tendons, and then, then the flesh, the organs, everything else, and then the skin, and then the spirit of life. God brings life. And if we think of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the Lord, the Lord gives them a child when they were past all hope. And the Lord doesn't just give them a child, but he gives them, gives them a child who grows up to be a prophet. Gives them a child who will declare that the life, the light of the world is coming. God works not just for them, but for us, for all of us, in bringing life to his people. We should, be, we should be amazed. We should be full of joy, as dry as things might get. At that point where you feel individually or you feel like for, for our church or you feel like for the church around the world that we're just a valley of dry bones, the Lord comes to us in these stories and says, the story, the story of my work ain't over yet. Can these dry bones live? The Lord knows. The Lord knows. And the answer is yes. Now there is, there is a difficult reality that we have to face today. That last picture I showed was a, was a factory perfect Toyota Hilux, right? Everything looked great and it looked a little bit unreal. And there is... There is this challenge with sermons and with the Christian faith that, that sometimes we look at these promises and we say, oh, that's wonderful and it's great and it's tremendous, but it's not my life. It's nice that it's out there, but that's not my today. And we as a church and we as individuals have to acknowledge that, that, that yes, we have hope and we have joy and we have peace and we have love and we have Christ, but... But we do not live factory perfect, mint, brand new, incredible lives all the time. There is real struggle. So let's acknowledge that. But then let's lean back into the promises of God. I've got two more pictures to show. Let's go to the next one a minute. This is, this is our Toyota Hilux with its standard uh, passenger capacity there. And just as a fun little side note, the guy on the left there leaning back a little bit, his name is Ezekiel. So I figured I had to include this picture because Ezekiel, Ezekiel, it's too good. Well, these are some of the Christians who we worked with in Nigeria. And, and this is, I believe, on the way to a combined church service. And these are all first generation, or in the case of the kids, second generation Christians. These are people who grew up making sacrifices to other gods and, and people who grew up living in total fear and with no sense of hope. And yet they came to Christ. 
And their lives were not easy. In fact, in many respects, their lives in this world became harder because their families and their villages rejected them. But in Christ, in Christ, they found abundant life. And that is how the Lord works for all of his people. Even if the details of our life seem really, really impossible, even if it seems like everything is dry and dusty and there is nothing left, the Lord is at work bringing us life. We gather, we gather not because our lives are perfect. We gather not because the Lord has finished with us, but, but we gather because the Lord has begun and because the Lord has promised that He will restore us and bring us to life. One last picture. That's the highway where we lived. Wonderful road. I loved it. But this is what our Christian lives often look like. The Lord has begun to transform us. We are, we are equipped. We have what we need to keep going, but we are still in the middle of a dry and dusty valley so often. And so even in the midst of hard times, even when the road ahead looks bumpy, the Lord is with us. The Lord is at work bringing us to life, and so we can, we can lean into that. We can step into what the Lord is calling us to. We can take a deep breath. We can take a deep breath, trusting God's word and spirit to give us life, to lead us forward, to lead us through the dry valleys, and to be home with him forever. Let's pray. Father, some of us come here today and we ask the question, can these dry bones live? And Lord, we are grateful that you have the answer to that question. And Lord, we pray that whether we come here in a dry season or in a season where, where we feel full of life, we are grateful that you meet us with your word and with your spirit. Father, we pray that you encourage us where we need encouragement. We pray that you enliven us where we are dry and worn out. Lord, draw us closer to you. We need you so desperately. And so we pray in this Advent season as we, as, we walk through, as we walk through the darkness toward the light of Christmas that you bless us with your presence and with your life. Amen.